1: the Vox Media podcast network
2: All right everybody, it is Thursday, June 2nd. Wow, it is June already. 2022 And it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. And shortly thereafter, this will be live on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone's having a fantastic week. It's one of those weird weeks where we have the long weekend. It's Thursday, but it actually feels like Wednesday. And we have a UFC card coming up after a weekend without a UFC card. There's a lot of weirdness going on in MMA. There's a lot of newsworthy things going on in MMA. There's fighters talking crap about another fighter. Other fighters are talking crap back about other fighters. We have the MMA Fighting Global Rankings that just came out for June. So there's a lot going on. So we appreciate you hopping on. This is, if you're new to this whole thing, this is like a sports radio morning show where you come in, you give your thoughts, we will discuss we will react and we will go from there so whatever you guys want to talk about we'll get after it if you want to talk about the global rankings the moving the movers and the shakers we could talk about that if you want to talk about some of the interviews on the MA hour yesterday we could talk about that we can talk about whatever you want to, want to talk about you want to talk about Saturday the UFC card we could do that want to talk about PFL silliness we could certainly talk about that whatever you want to talk about just request we'll get you in And no time like the presents to go to the peeps, all right? So kicking us off, our good friend Viking MMA. Perhaps. The wheel is spinning. There he is. Viking MMA. Got to unmute and we'll be good to go. Viking MMA, are you here? All right, try again. We'll get you in here. Let's go to Tristan. I'm sure he'll have multiple things to talk about. (laughs) So what's up, buddy? Mike, what's going on? How you doing, sir?
3: All right, Mike, did you listen to the MMA Fightings World Global Ranking Show yesterday?
2: I did. Okay. uh, I've
3: listened to almost all of it. Okay, listen. AK's in here. AK's here, right? He's in here? He's in here. Okay. Did, did you have any issues with what he was saying? I mean, listen, I know he's your guy, but, like, you had to be like, come on, AK. Like, what's going on? And, there was, and then there's another topic I want to talk about. But here we go again with the disrespect. So did you, I mean, did you, did you have any issues, especially when they were talking about the real deal, interim, and Fugazi?
2: Which one are you talking about? I assume you're talking about the women's flyweight yes, division. Yes, here we
3: go. Here we go. Here we go. And this is and this is. Ak, I hope you're listening, because this is this is because now you're getting insane now. So, <laughs> so here we go with the Aaron Blanchfield situation again. So here we go. Right. Let's go back again. I got to I got to bring it up after UFC 272. Okay. We all know what he said. This goes back now. To Marina Mraz, right? What did he say about Marina Mraz? He said Aaron Blanfield is not on her level. I said okay, okay. Now fast forward to the ranking show yesterday. So he says, and we all know, he says with Aaron Blanfield, at some point Aaron Blanfield is going to be champion one day. That she is the real deal. How's that possible? If you if you said that Marina Mraz is is that Aaron Blanfield is not on Marina Moraz's level. It doesn't he's not he's trying to play both sides here. It doesn't it, he's not making any it doesn't make any sense. There's no mention of Miranda Moraz on the ranking None. Not even one honorable mention or one vote. He's very high on Miranda Moraz. So all of a sudden like it does, he's not making sense. It doesn't make sense. You can't you can't he's trying to cover himself. Just in case if Aaron Blanfield runs through JJ Aldridge and then for um future honor that's the fight to make Miranda Mirage versus Aaron Blanchfield because she fought Because Moraz fights next month against Eubanks on that July 9th card. That's RDA versus Fazeev. So that's the fight to make. There's no... You can put that in October. um, Just in case, like, I don't think... Depending on if Blanchfield and Mirage, both of them don't get hurt. That's the fight to make. You make that fight in October in Abu Dhabi and we're ready to go. So I don't... I keep... Okay, you got to keep that same energy, dude. You got to keep. There's no mention about Miraz. none. And you've been hiring her, and you feel that she's been, and she should be. She should be in the ring. She should. Be, nobody's mentioning in the global ring. Where, where are you? Where's the screaming at? Where's like you guys are not talking about Miraz? You've been. You've been. You've been caping up for her since you. Since uh, you. I believe uh, the UFC 272 when she defeated um, who she defeated? Uh, she defeated Agapova. So I'm like, and I'm like, you, you gotta be saying to yourself, like, listen, AK, I love you, man, but you can't, you can't, now you're just playing both sides here. It, it just, it doesn't make sense. I, if AK, AK, you gotta get, you gotta put him up here and have him explain to You can't, you can't go back and forth and say, well, Eric is gonna be champion one day when she's not on, but he's, but she's not even on the same level as Mirage. I'm like, dude, what are you trying to do here? So keep that same energy. Keep the same energy. And that's all I'm asking. And then as far as, you know, I want your thoughts on that. And then and then I was I was pretty taken aback. They were throwing kind of shade on Bryce Mitchell. I was like, whoa. I was like, man, I wonder how Mike's going to feel because he's really high on Bryce Mitchell. So, they was like calling for gates on Bryce Mitchell. So, I want to know what you thought about that. I was like, I was pretty surprised. I'm like, huh? okay. We'll see, you know. So, just your thoughts. And I know what the rant, I, I couldn't hold it. And now, Mike, you told me to save it for Mike Tech. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't let AK just, with the disrespect, I can't, I can't let it happen. I had to say something today because I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, this guy, man, this guy's something else. This guy's something else, man. I just like, I, like, I'm just looking at this guy like, what, AK, what is going on? So that's all I got to say. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I just, I had to say something. I- I'll let you go, Mike.
2: Thank you, Tristan. I appreciate that. Now, I I think I know where my best friend A.K. Lee is coming from with this discussion. I think I I don't want to put words in his mouth. I I, I just don't want to do that, especially since he's right here. And we're going to let the man defend himself right here. He's taking the virtual stand to defend these allegations. And you said some things, A.K. Tristan did not agree. In fact, A.K., Tristan's been calling you out quite a few times on this program for what he perceives to be Aaron Blanchfield, complete and utter disrespect, AK. Defend yourself. Maybe. AK, are you there? AK. All right, we will let AK defend himself in a moment. Hop back in, AK. Request once more. Maybe we can make this happen. Maybe he's on a a, a morning jog. Maybe he's playing basketball on the mean streets of Toronto with the youngsters. They had an early morning game going on or something. I don't know. I I will address Tristan in a moment. Because I want to let AK get his shine. We'll try to get Viking MMA back in here. See if this works. There he is. What's up? I see you, Viking. I hear you. What's up?
4: How are you, Mike?
2: I'm good. What can we do? What, what do you want to talk about today?
4: I just want to talk about you know UFC in India. I mean, I'm from India, and there is 140 billion people lives here, and still there is no UFC, and you know, people are watching WWE in larger scale, and even still. Even they still don't know that it's fake, so why don't Dana try UFC in India because, you know, 100 and people, 140 million people are here. And, you know, UFC is so much addictive than all the other stuff. It's, it's you know, it's all about just the one right PR, you know. I got, I got myself into UFC by seeing just one Conor McGregor promo and right after that i'm so much addictive into ufc it's all about you know one one good pr in ufc 140 140 billion people come on why they are not why they are not trying ufc in india i mean come on man it's 140 billion people you just have to convince yeah some of them
2: yeah i uh that's a good point thank you viking mma yeah i think I think the big thing is um, it, it, it happens in waves, right? We saw it with, we, we kind of see it with Africa right now. We're seeing it with Nganu and Kamara Usman and Israel Adesanya. And we're seeing these stars just kind of emerge all at the same time. We saw it with Australia and we've seen it with, with other parts. I mean, even Ireland, the UK, et cetera there's just this wave of all these, this talent that makes it to the UFC and they shine and they make big moves and it all sort of happens at the same time. And while there's certainly a lot of people, as you mentioned that are in India that would go to the arena and watch these events. I think they're probably just waiting for that wave to come from there. Now there are some, some good fighters from the area. Some have made it to the UFC. Some have not, some have moved on from the UFC, but I think it's just kind of a wave thing. They just need some some fighters to emerge, some stars to emerge, build interest through the fighters from, from that area. And once that happens, it wouldn't shock me to see the UFC head to India. But I think they're just kind of waiting for that boom to happen.
1: Speaking of boom,
2: let's see if we can make this happen. Uh, Mike, AK, yeah, how are Mike, you there? I hear you. now. That was
5: What's weird up, before. Buddy? Yeah, it was. I, it said my mic was on, and just nothing was uh, nothing was coming through. I don't know. I don't know what how it looked like on your end.
2: Yeah, you were there. It said speaker, and then nothing was happening. And I think uh, I, I think Twitter just wasn't ready for the fire that was about to come out. Uh,
5: listen, obviously, I just listened to Tristan. And oh, by the way, shout out, shout out, Mike and May for fighting the good fight in uh, in India. Yeah, you know, hopefully, hope. Touche. Yeah, hopefully that is a market that um, UFC. I mean, I guarantee you, they are working to get into that market. As as he he said, but you know, just the sheer numbers, the sheer population, the potential for uh, for money to be made there. Trust me, they they are working on it. They are working on it. It is it is something they definitely want to do. Um, and like you said, it just takes that one fight sometimes to to spark people. So maybe uh, maybe maybe that that one hasn't come from the majority of the population yet. But uh, you, you just never know. Uh, man, Tristan, you know, yeah, listen, Tristan. Tristan's uh, our guy. He knows that. Um, I wish there was a, a coherent thought in his criticism today. <laughs> um, I don't know. Was I, was I the only one confused at him getting to the point of like what he was trying to say? Like, listeners are out there, throw up a uh, throw up the peace sign emoji in the uh, in the in the com uh, the thing if uh, in the space if you were like confused as to what where Tristan was getting at because he just kept going. He was trying to get to a point, never quite made it there. Uh, he also only gave like half the story, which is not surprising. Um, Okay, so regarding Aaron Blanchfield, yeah, I was very high in Marina Morose. I still think if they, I, I, yeah, we didn't mention her in the ranking show. I'm sorry. She hasn't fought since March. I, I apologize that Marina Moros was not at front and center of the flyweight discussion talk, which, by the way, was specifically about Casey O'Neill. Uh, he, he really didn't explain the segment. The segment was specifically comparing three fighters uh, Aaron Blanchfield, Casey O'Neill, and uh, Manon Firo. So I could have thrown morose in there for some reason but it's kind of getting away from what we were talking about so he didn't explain the premise of the uh the 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 segment so good job tristan um (laughs) and in the segment i did still question whether whether blanchfield could be a champion someday I, i i had the same i had a similar ranking to uh to my my cohorts to our mma fighting pals as in you know being very optimistic about blanchfield's future but i also played devil's advocate and said well here's why she might not Uh, Be a future champion. She is only 24 years old. Casey O'Neill is only 25. And there's just real, in MMA, so much can change for people. So I'm very high on her, but I also am still skeptical. So, yes, I am playing both sides. And that's okay. When you're being critical and when you're analyzing prospects, you don't have, especially they're so young, 24 years old again. She's only fought in MMA eight times, nine times. You don't have to go all in and be like, oh, well, I'm sure this person's going to be this. Or I'm sure this person's going to be that. Why would I do that? I don't get bonus points. I don't get paid extra if I'm right about these things. So why would I put my neck out there? No, I think she's an amazing prospect like most people. I would I would certainly, if I had to, if a gun to my head, do I think she's going to get a title shot or not or win a title someday? I'd say, yes, I think she is. But I'm not like pot committed. I'm not like I have to be all in on Aaron Blanchfield. No, I think she's a great prospect and I think she will be champions today. That's it. I'll stand by that. But if she loses, if she loses her next fight, guess what? Yeah, I'm ready to pivot or has a poor performance. I'm not going to stick by it. I'm sure Tristan will be out there like, oh, I don't care if she had a poor performance. I don't care if she lost to whoever. She can be a champion someday no matter what. It's like, okay, good for you. Good for you. Your your Aaron Blanchfield stock is, is, is safe and secure. <laughs> I'm not that invested. I'm sorry. I'm not that invested in any fighter, frankly. And uh, what was the second? One? Oh, Bryce Mitchell. Again, he didn't explain the premise. We were saying Bryce Mitchell was the least likely to win a title compared to Ilya Topuria, Movsar Evloyev, uh, and Mike, who was the other name we had in there? Um, uh, I'm going to oh, kick myself geez,
2: now. Oh, Arnold
5: Allen. Excuse me. That is not a slight to Bryce Mitchell. And I even, I even painted a pad I said if he becomes the bantamweight version, uh, excuse me, featherweight version of like Colby Cummington, if he adds a qual- high quality volume striking to his incredible motor and great grappling, he easily can be a world title contender. That was said on the show. That is verbatim from the show. It, it was not. A, it was not slandering him at all. It was. I said compared to Ilya Toporia, Mosaravloev, and Arnold Allen. So listeners, now you have the full story. Make your own judgments on on, uh, on uh, Tristan's fiery take. Again, we uh, we love Tristan's passion. But man, you got it. he's calling me out, Tristan. You got to tell the whole story, man. When you're when you're making these criticisms, you cannot misrepresent me. And if this is what's been going on, I'm not in the show, Mike. I guess I got to tune in and talk more often. I'm usually happy to be a bystander, <laughs> but I cannot be. I cannot continue to be misrepresented like this. That's that's not how it goes. All right, Mike. That's it.
2: I'm done. Thank you, AK. Yeah, I, I think with that whole conversation, it, at least at least the way I I perceived it early on was at least this is the way. Shaheen explained it was Fugazi is just it's just they just you're just ranking three and sometimes four fighters just on the likelihood that they will get to a title fight or I think that the interim was like we'll at least get to an interim title fight and then the Fugazi was not meant I mean I guess Fugazi is kind of a weird word but it was just meant to be like the the lower of the, the ranked fighters there so I think AK went with Fiora because she has the quickest path to a title, she's probably the most likely to get there first because she's fighting Caitlyn And If she beats Caitlyn Chukagan, she's absolutely fighting for the belt next. And then Casey O'Neill is there and then there's Erin Blanchfield. I have to say I understand I understand how things are ranked. I understand a lot of people, but very, I understand AK's take on Fioro sort of being the number one because she is a win away. If we're talking about prospects that I am higher on overall, who I think has the best chance to actually win the belt, I'm actually going Casey O'Neill first. I've been high on Casey O'Neill since before she was in the UFC. I feel like her pressure, her ground game, her ground and pound, just her gas tank in general is such a big problem. And she didn't really get to showcase that much in the Roxanne mata fight. fight. Why should she? Roxanne is... An incredible jujitsu player so taking her to the ground was not the smartest thing to do but that's only going to get better I don't think she's like afraid to take Roxanne to the ground but I understand that you want to take the path to least resistance she won the fight and you have to you have to imagine too that must have been such an annoying process for her because it was all about Roxanne and her final fight and you know, Casey didn't want to get wrapped up in all of that. She's still a young fighter. She hasn't been in the UFC that long, and she gets a pretty pressure-packed spot early on in her career against a fighter that everyone absolutely admires and loves. It's a tough spot. She went out there, wasn't the best performance of her career, but all things considered, she went out there and friggin' won. So, to me, I think Casey, I think Casey could absolutely become a champion. And I think the way she's approaching her career is actually really smart. She's in no rush to get there. And I think that's what makes Aaron Blanchfield such a fascinating tale as well because I feel like Fioro has just been put in these spots. Her age factors into this conversation where the UFC has the ability to push her a little bit quicker because the time frame, her career, isn't going to be as long to this at, at this point compared to Blanchfield, compared to Casey O'Neill. So I feel like Fioro is the one if we're going to push one of these fighters Fioro is the one and then we still have plenty of time to build Casey plenty of time to build Aaron and who knows if Valentina is even going to be around by the time these two women are ready now Casey's going to take a little bit of a backseat right now because she's hurt she's not going to fight again till next year because of the ACL and the surgery but Blanchfield Blanchfield's really good and her striking is going to get better and Casey O'Neill's striking is ahead of Blanchfield's right now it just is but Blanchfield will get better and so will Casey O'Neal. Casey's a problem. And I don't feel like enough people are giving her that uh, that credit. She'd be number one for me. It'd be, for me, not saying Fioros Fugazi, she's good, but I feel like she's going to get to the belt quick. She's going to lose to Shevchenko. And then then what? Then what are we going to do with her? Well, we still have time to mold these two other prospects. I think Casey's a big problem. A big problem. I feel like she's her own worst enemy at this point. And I think she's going to get over some of those mental hurdles of big spots and big fight situations. She was going to run over Jessica, Ai. and I'm not saying this to be a jerk. She was going to run over Jessica. Ai. Now Macy Barber gets the opportunity, and Macy has a very good chance to win that fight. But Jessica's been great in these situations as well. But to me, it's Casey, Aaron Blanchfield, Manon Fioro. I think, I think O'Neill and Blanchfield both have tremendous chances to win titles, and I think time is on their side because. I just don't know how long it get. I don't know when it gets to the point where Valentina just gets bored at fighting at 125. I do believe she'll fight for the belt at 135 at some point this year. I think if she beats Tyler Santos, her next fight will be for the Bantamweight title. But who knows? We'll see what happens. Misha Tate beats Lauren Murphy. That might change things because that's a pretty big fight. I like how we started off kind of Johnny Depp, Amber Heard style. Just had a little court case going on. Henderson, we go to you, my man. How are you?
6: Hey, heck of a morning to you, Mike.
2: Indeed. How are you?
6: I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm I'm calling in from Jersey. So I have to talk about Aaron Blanchfield because uh, in Jersey, that's all we do is hype up our uh, hometown people, you know, uh, and I think that the card placement is just criminal. I mean, like everyone knows she's a top prospect and probably one of the I don't know, most talented prospects to come out of New Jersey in a real long time, maybe since, like, Frankie Edgar, probably. So, it's just, it's like, New Jersey has always been a place that has supported the UFC and supported MMA, and Atlantic City was big for them for a while, um, and just the, the history here, and there's so many people who are into it, and the UFC just doesn't care, doesn't promote it at all. And it was nice to hear that, you um, caller from india talking about how like i wish they would come to india like it would be so easy for them and i really feel like that in a lot of different ways like the ufc doesn't do a great job of actually like promoting themselves and 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 growing mma and and i feel like they could so easily just make someone like aaron like Oh, the next big thing from New Jersey, like a history of this, like she's going to college in New Jersey for media and she wants to broadcast and shit too, supposedly. So like, it's such a layup for them. And yet they just let it down. So I just wanted to know what she thought about all that. And, and do you, I can just think of so many ways that the UFC could just easily be better. Like just make your fight pass app work, you know, step one, uh, and and then at, when you hear them talk about things like the ESPN deal and they're saying, Oh yeah, we made so much guaranteed money off of this. Like that was a great success, but only because a lot of people have ESPN. It's not, they, they don't even seem to know what is working and what isn't, you know? So I don't know, man, I get so frustrated with them, but in the end of the day, like they do sign the best fighters. So that, that keeps them on top, but only for so long, I think, if they just keep not really trying.
2: Thank you, Henderson. Yes, I think a lot of people agree with you on the card place so with Aaron Blanchfield and J.J. Aldrich. I think it's going to be a good fight. But to, to play, as AK likes to do from time to time, to play devil's advocate, I understand where everyone's coming from, but at the same time, we're building her slow, all right? We're trying to build her up slowly. I think the UFC does see something in her. Maybe they're looking at it as, all right, let's get people to tune in from the first fight on. That's a possibility. And two, let's not put this this woman in, in any kind of a, a big-time pressure situation. She just had one sort of with Miranda Maverick, but I think she's going to be fine. Like, it, it kind of sucks. But with these fight night cards, or in this case, fight afternoon cards, kind of place with, like, I don't take a, t- a ton of stock in it. Now, if this is a pay-per-view if this is next week's card and Aaron Blanchfield, JJ Aldrich is kicking off the fight pass prelims. I think I'd be a little more animated about this, but it's, it's kind of silly. I mean, may, maybe it's just for the East coast people. Maybe, the, you know, because the 1 PM prelim, I, I believe, I think it's a 1 PM prelim. They want the East coasters to be able to watch their fighter. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. And I think Aaron Blanchfield overall, at least from the, the times I've talked to her, she knows she's going to get where she needs to go. But at the same time, most fighters in that situation, those young up and comers are just like, listen, I'm in Vegas right now. I get to fight at 10 a.m. and then my day's over. <sighs> Sign me up for that. So I think I don't think she's upset, as upset as most people are, but I understand why people are upset. I get it. But the other stuff, again, kind of like I mentioned to Viking MMA, once a star emerges, the UFC pounces on it. We saw it with Zhang Wei Lee. In, in that market going to China and, and trying to promote that area. We're seeing it with Africa We' we saw it with Australia I, and these other markets. Like once you have these certain fighters from certain areas, fans that kind of commune those areas, like we saw with Brandon Moreno with his last couple of fights, doing his fight in Phoenix and then doing it in Anaheim. Like they're good when it comes to, to that kind of stuff, getting local fighters on local cards, but it's been tough. It's tough when you have these apex cards and it's just kind of blah and bland and vanilla and, and all of that. But again, sign some of these international fighters. I mean, we're seeing what the UFC's doing right now with, with this road to the UFC. They have contender series. They have the ultimate fighter. They have avenues to try to find these folks. So let's just see if they do it. I don't know. Let's get CRJ in here. Good morning, CRJ. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good, how are I'm you? Good,
5: thanks so much for asking. Um, I have sort of a for fun question that I'm curious what you guys will think to lighten the mood, and sort of a, a thought experiment. So I'm, like, I'm I'm putting you in the position of odds maker, all right? And I want you to give me the odds that five randomly selected people from the population could defeat a UFC Walter weight in a fight
2: like five on five one?
5: on one. But remember they're randomly selected from the population at com- complete random. Give me the odds.
2: Oh man. I mean, are we, are we selecting five randos who are, I'm like not giving like you, 195? you any more information. Ah, oh, this is a weird one. Um, Golly, it, let me think about this. Thank you, CRJ. You're always thought-provoking. You're always making me think. Let's just say they're fighting Kamaru Usman. We're talking randos, so all shapes and sizes. I feel like Usman's a smart enough guy. I feel like five-on-one is, is very tough, but we're selecting randos, and without knowing who the randos are, because we could have just we could have like a 19-year-old, 110-pound kid in there. We could have like three of those. Usman minus 110. <laughs> okay, Usman minus 110. Slight favorite. I don't know. I, I, without knowing who the randos are, it's tough. But I'd probably slightly favor Usman. Now, if, if these randos are all like former Marine, you know, 280-pound monsters, that might be a different story. But you're not telling me anything. I assume you're choosing the randos, all shapes and sizes. Give me Usman as a slight favorite. Let's get Mike Sveinson in here. Four Corner Sports NY, you're on deck. Kevin, you're after him. Mike, what's up? Just make sure you are mute and we'll be ready How's to go. How's it going, Mike?
7: Good, how are Good. you, Good. man? First of all, that's a heck of a question by CRJ. He needs to come and work at my <laughs> office. That's the kind of stuff we talk about all day. <laughs> <laughs> um listen i first of all i wanted to uh, stay on topic but i wanted to wish you a happy celtics final day also known as the, let's go also known as we no longer have to watch kyle Lowry play basketball day
2: oh that guy sucks <laughs> dude oh my god he sucks it's like watching a feather fly in the oh. air that dude flops his ass off. He sucks. That guy's terrible. But continue Embarrassing.
7: On. Anyway, lots of things I wanted to throw at you, and then he uh, let you let you get back to me on them. So the, the one I think I touched on last time I spoke to you, but, you know, the MMA Twitter is just full of these guys talking about their comeback fight. I'm coming back this summer. I'm coming back next month. And so I wanted to ask you another odds-based question. You can just throw these guys in order of likelihood to return before the end of the year to least likely. And the three I've got are Jones, McGregor, and Saudo. And then, you know, mm. the other thing I wanted to mention is, you at know, the next 10 weeks is just an excellent 10 weeks for MMA. And, you know, to Henderson's point about promotion, you know, there's you know, good cards help, obviously. But I think that the Yair uh, Ortega card on ABC uh, in the afternoon is an excellent spot for the for the MMA world. And that's an East Coast card as well. I think Henderson was talking about East Coast promotion. So, you know, uh, in the mix of the great fight night cards going on in the next 10 weeks, that's one I've got highlighted, as well as, you know, just some awesome uh, pay-per-views, 276 from top to bottom, and UFC London is is a can't-miss card. So I think it's a good couple of months ahead for UFC promotion and and for the sport in general.
2: I agree, Mike. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, to address the first question, these are three very difficult ones. So is Conor... John Jones and Henry Cejudo. Most likely to least likely by the end of the year. That's tough. I will say, I will say, John Jones, the most likely, and that this is super risky, but I think they will get this fight done with Stipe. Um, I think they're going to, they, they need this fight to happen. So I will go with Jones. I will go with, Mm. I will go with Suhudo, although I'm not confident at all in that pick, but I'm more confident in Connor. I just don't know if that leg's going to be able to to be ready for the end of the year. I mean, maybe it is, uh, but it wouldn't shock me to see him maybe headline January. So Those two are tough. If I could just do one and then like 2A, 2B, I would do McGregor, Sahuto in the same boat because I feel like Cejudo is going to be a pain in the ass to deal with because he's only going to want a title fight. Dana and the matchmakers are going to be like, nah, dude, you got to fight somebody else before you get a title fight. And then Sahudo's going to go on his podcast with the schmo and complain about it and call out Dana uh, and say it's his fault and all that stuff. So I'm torn there. But again, I will come on the show and I will do an hour straight of praising Henry Cejudo if he goes and fights a Cito Vera or a Piotr Jan or anybody else. Literally anybody else. Go fight Marab. Go fight a one. Go fight a bantamweight contender. Go fight anybody. I don't care. Go fight Adrian Yanez. Go fight Sean O'Malley. I don't give a shit. Go fight one of those guys. Pedro Munoz. Anybody. Go fight anybody in the top ten at 135. If you win, I will come on the show for an hour straight and discuss why you should be fighting for the title next. Anyone, you can go up to 145 and buy Volkanovski for all I care. I don't care. Go fight a contender, then you get a title shot. You can't leave the company high and dry and then just walk into a title fight, especially when the company doesn't care that you left in the first place. I get on these rants about Sahuda, and, and Again, let me just say this once more. I respect what this man has done in his combat sports career. I respect what he's done in wrestling. I respect what he's done in MMA. As a fighter, him leaving the company high and dry, him thinking he's a bigger star than he actually is, not great. Not great. But if he goes out there and he fights somebody else, fights a contender, I will praise him for that. I will respect the hell out of that man. And then I'll then go fight for the belt. I will I will be your I will drive you to the to the arena to fight for that belt. How about that? Let's go to four-quarter sports what's up oh
8: hey Mike gamer I got gotcha.
2: you right. um I wanted to ask
8: you about uh is it the right move for Joe Jill, for Ameda to stay at heavyweight I know he's gonna fight Shamil um later this year is that the should he have stayed at light heavyweight because I don't know my opinion is um I feel like it'll be an easier path for him to get to the title as opposed to him fighting at heavyweight uh and then you
2: think you think it's
8: easier at 205? yeah because um I mean, you, you have your, your Jamal Hills, Anthony Smiths, you know, that are going to be, you know, competing at for, for championships and stuff like that. I mean, I know Jamal Hill hasn't competed for a championship yet. But I feel like you have, you know, more killers at heavyweight as opposed to 205. That's just my opinion. I don't know what you have to say about that. Um, and then also I want to ask you about um, Alexander Volkanovski's coach, him saying that Olivera is a more difficult matchup than um, Islam. Um, I don't know if you agree about that or not. I know Islam has like dominant throughout his whole entire UFC career, and Olivera has been on, on this amazing surge. So, who would give the most um, difficult um, challenges for um, Volkanovsky if they were to ever, you know, square up in the octagon? And, um, yeah, and I wanted to say that I agree with you as for your take on Casey O'Neill possibly being, like, the, the best uh, prospect to uh, compete and win the title because I mean you know Casey O'Neill is a monster at um, 125 and it's just a shame that she tore her ACL and I was really looking forward to, to seeing what she was going to be able to do against Jessica I because I just felt like I was going to be like the coming out party for her to you know get catapulted into you know bigger fights moving on forward and also just wanted to say uh, go Celtics all right thanks Ben.
2: That a boy. Yes, that's how you end all the calls. That's how we should end all the calls. Uh, AK would agree with that. He's a huge Celtics fan, and he's going to be wearing his old Kevin Garnett jersey watching game one tonight. So, yeah, K- Casey O'Neil, it's, it. if we can go back to, I don't know if it was the preview show before UFC debut or the pre-fight Q&A before the UFC debut. Uh, maybe it was both. But I told you guys about Casey O'Neill. I told you how good she is. I told you she's going to be a problem, and she is a problem. She is an absolute problem. Uh, the injury sucks, but again, for someone who's taking her time, not in a huge rush, she understands that this is a marathon, not a sprint. It stinks, but maybe this is good for her. This is good for her for her mental game. This is good for her to just kind of like relax a little bit because she's not the one that likes to just sit back and relax and smell roses and take time to herself, really. She's just always in the gym. She's always working. She's always training. So she's, yeah, she's she's an animal. She's an absolute animal. Yeah, and the Jelton Almeida thing, listen, this guy could fight at heavyweight, light heavyweight, middleweight, doesn't matter. This guy is a problem, a big problem for either division. He is such a freak athlete. 205, he would do fine. But he's our. This is his second heavyweight fight. And he's already fighting. I believe Abdurahimov is ranked in the UFC heavyweight rankings. I could be wrong about this, but if he's not, he's like just outside the top fifteen. Where are we at? Let's see. Shamil Abdurahimov is number twelve. He's getting the number twelve rank guy already. That's big. That's big. And have you? If Jeltz goes out there and does to Shamil Abdurahimov, what I? Think he will probably do to Shmuel Durahimov, which is take him down and beat him up. I mean, he's already the number 12 ranked guy. He's in this division, he's two or three wins away from fighting for the title. So I think, I actually think the road to a belt for him is quicker at heavyweight, but I understand where you're coming from with, with light heavyweight as well. There's just not a lot at light heavyweight. It's just not, I mean, it's an interesting division, but look what we have right now. We got Glover Teixeira who is going to submit Yuri Perhashka next Saturday in the first round. I'm going to keep saying that. Uh, we got Yanni Blacco. Rakic is going to be back of the year. Magomed Ankalaev's fighting Anthony Smith. That's a big fight. Jamal Hill's getting ready to fight Tiago Santos. That's a big fight. Paul Craig's on the way up. Dominic Reyes will be coming back at some point. Ryan Spann's making moves. Jimmy Crute's going to be back soon. Dustin Jacoby's on a nice run. So, I mean... I think he kind of weighed out the options. What's the quicker path? I think heavyweight's probably the quicker path for him, but we'll see. And yes, the Celtics will win tonight and put a stranglehold on the series.
0: The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov and Cedric the best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the US and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Dumbay fight here in the U.S. So make sure you don't miss it.
1: Kevin from Chicago. What's up, buddy?
9: What about is uh, MMA judging? That's been the topic of discussion lately. And I wanted to talk about the Logan Storley versus MVP fight because I'm surprised the amount of people are saying MVP won that fight when Logan Storley was in control of that fight, probably like 18, 20 minutes of a 25-minute fight. Like, like every half of the round, he was spent in on top control just easing through a decision win, and people are saying that's, that, that was MVP's fight. He landed a few flurry punches at the beginning of the round, and then Logan Story dominated the rest. That doesn't make any sense. I think what it comes down to is, obviously, the, the boring wrestlers, they don't like that. That's, that's the number one thing. But they, they don't understand the degree of difficulty it is to take someone down and control them. It's so much easier to, be, to land a punch on, let's say, Israel Adesanya, then they go take down Khabib and control him. Way harder. They just don't understand the degree of difficulty. They never wrestled in their life, and that's what judging should be based on, in my opinion, the degree of difficulty. Because it seems like everything time they say, "Well, we took him down," but what do you do with it? We didn't do anything with it. So it's like they don't even want takedowns to matter. Like control doesn't even matter. No, no you got to take them down. You got to beat them up. To me, that just that doesn't make any sense. You could just be able to take someone down, hold them down against your will. If they want to post on their arm or put their back against the cage, that's their problem. They got to take risk to get up, not just wait for the rep to stand them up, put them in a stalling position. Um, that's my thoughts on that. What's your thoughts?
2: Thank you, Kevin. I, I, I figured we would get a judging question at some point. Um and I guess you're kind of calling me out because I am one of the people who scored that fight for MVP. And it's, it's just the criteria now. Damage is the number one criteria thing. Now, if Logan takes Michael Page down one second into the round, doesn't absorb any strikes, anything at all, takes him down, holds him down, he wins the round, 100%. But you have to remember, especially with this new criteria with scoring, that a takedown is basically just a change in position. It's, it's looked at the same way as two fighters just standing around and circling each other or clinching in the middle or clinching against the fence. It's literally just a positional change. It's, it's the same thing as two guys standing up. That's the way it's, that takedowns are scored now. Now, I completely agree that taking a guy down and controlling them on the ground is very difficult to do. But there are examples, I believe that same week... I'm trying to think which card it was. I don't know if it was. I don't know which card it was. I don't know if it was the, the Holm Vieira card or the. Or the Boholvich Rakic card. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Like it was. Like it's different. Like Chase Hooper fought Felipe Calharas. And Chase Hooper was getting takedowns and getting on top and doing all these different things. And like, he wasn't landing a lot of damage, but neither was Calharas. But at the same time, Hooper was improving his position. He was going for submission attempts. He was trying to he was trying to finish the fight. And Calharas at times was trying to do the same thing. But that's the difference. You could take a guy down and hold him there. But like, f- think about it as a street fight. I know is not a street fight. But if you're watching a street fight video and you see a guy and t- you see two guys getting ready to fight and fighter one throws a punch and misses, fighter two lands like four or five good shots. Everyone's going, ooh, ah. Second fighter takes the guy to the ground, just lays on top of him. Like keeps him on the ground, doesn't throw any punches, doesn't try to do anything, just just takes him down and lays on there. Who are you thinks going to win the fight? Like who would you say won? you'd probably say the guy who landed the punches. I mean, that's just, it's the way that it is. Judging still has a lot of, there's still a lot of problems in judging. It's still pretty bad. Uh, No one's on the same page. And that's the thing right there. Because the way Kevin thinks, there are judges who feel the same way. But the criteria says that damage is the number one factor. And that should be outweighed more than anything else. If you take a guy down and don't do anything with it, it doesn't score anything like Sam Hughes was getting takedowns against Elise Reed on that same card. And Sam was landing big shots. She was landing ground and pound. She was improving her position. She was mounting. She was doing all that. If Logan Story just got into side control and threw a couple of elbows, that's a different story. He's trying to do something, but he just sat in every piece guard And MVP was still landing stuff off of his back. He was landing elbows. He was landing punches. He was landing different things. And it's not going to amount to a whole hell of a lot. But at the same time, he's doing more off of his back than Logan was doing on top. Look at Benson Henderson, Islam Mamadov. That's a perfect fight to go back and watch because Mamadov got takedowns. The Brent Primus fight too. Islam Mamadov took down Brent Primus for three straight rounds. But I scored all three rounds for Brent Primus because Brent is on his back, throwing elbows. He's going for submission attempts. He's the more active fighter. He's trying to inflict damage. He's the one trying to finish the fight. Mamadouf then fights Benson Henderson. It's the same kind of thing. Benson's the more active fighter off of his back. He's landing more damage despite being taken down and controlled. He's getting back to his feet. I know MVP didn't do a lot of that, but Benson Henderson was having a hard time getting back to his feet too. And the judges got that one right. The judges got it right. If a guy takes you down and the guy off his off of his back on the bottom is still landing punches, he's landing elbows, he's trying to move around, he's trying to throw up submission attempts, the guy on his back's going to win the round, or he should. But we'll, we'll all learn that. We'll all get better with this. The judges will all get better. We'll all get on the same page. I'm glad we're talking about it. But I just, there's more issues in the sport mostly with fighter pay and some of the things going on behind the scenes then open scoring judging's a big problem by itself open scoring is not going to fix judging it's just going to shine a light on the judging being as bad as it is right now or as inconsistent as it is more often we complain about judging now if we look at op- if we have open scoring how much more are we going to complain about judging we're going to complain about it so much more Cause we get to complain about it after every single round. I don't know. We have bigger problems. Let's get token here. Then we'll get Miami Mike in here. Token, what's up, buddy?
10: Like,
11: um, okay. So my question is short and sweet because I've noticed that, uh, we have a, uh, CBA that's running out, which is the Vox media, uh, one. And I'm curious about what, what happens if you don't reach a deal between the CEO between the workers' union and Box uh, Media? Uh, what happens to all the content on MMA fighting?
2: Oh, okay. Um, interesting question. I will say this now. I I I am uh, what people like to call. I've been called on the show, and I appreciate that very much. I'm MMA is every man. Okay. And I like to talk with confidence about things that I know about. Um, I am aware of what's going on with Vox. I am aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Everybody can look it up. There have been articles written about it. New York Times did a piece about, about it. It's there for you all to read. Now, have I been completely focused on what is going on behind the scenes with that? Admittedly, not particularly. Have I read material, signed certain things, perhaps, but is this something that I am I've been in all the meetings on that I've been in all the discussions on? No, I have not. Uh, so the question is because I I worked in radio for a long time. I worked in small companies in radio and then a huge company bought us and we were not unionized. so this is the first time I've ever been in a company that is a union or, or been part of a union like that. So I literally have no idea what's going on. So I, as, as this is all unfolding, I'm learning how this all works. I know a few years ago before I joined on with MMA fighting, this was a big thing that happened. There was a CBA that I believe was three years ago. Uh, I believe there was, I don't know if there's a strike or not, but I know it was discussed. And yeah, that's that's really all I know about it. We'll see what happens. I know there's been meetings. There's been lots of conversations between the union advocates and the powers that be and I will just leave it at that because I honestly don't know a whole a lot but you know, I get where the union's coming from that's our part of the union they're trying to you know, make sure the people that work for the company get what they deserve now I will say personally I'm very happy working for MMA Fighting and that's it that's all I can really say Miami Mike you're up Jay you're next and then Joe you're on tap Mike what's up
12: Heck of a morning, Mike. Heck of a morning. Indeed. I will not Indeed. congratulate you on those Celtics winning. You don't need to, Mike. <laughs> you
2: don't need to. Your voice, your voice, your sadness. <laughs> that's congratulations enough. I
12: was trying to miss the last two episodes, too, so you wouldn't have to hear the sadness in my voice, but goddamn, still there. <laughs> Dude, I hope you guys win just so I could come on the podcast and say everything is possible, okay? That's all I want to say on the Celtics winning. Now, my MMA question. Dude, what do you think is uh, the next thing for uh, Volk and Max? I mean, given that, let's say, Max somehow wins. I don't think he is, but let's say he does. Obviously, Volk is going to get that rematch. I don't think he's going to move up to 155. But let's say Volk wins. Everybody's been thinking, like move up to 155 to kind of show this, like, pound-for-pound pound debate that to show, like, he's at the top of it, and he's better than Izzy, and he's better than Usman, Gooseman he's better than everybody else. But what do you think about Max, too? I mean, if Max loses, does he kind of cut his ties on 145 and move up to 155 and try his luck there? And at that point, does Volk stay there, or does Volk also move to 155 and kind of see Max there? So what do you think?
2: Thank you, Miami Mike. Go Seas. Yeah, so, and and there was another question about Volkanovsky. Eugene Barrowman did an interview with with Submission Radio, and Eugene said that Oliver is a a tougher matchup, and I'm sorry I didn't address that to begin with. Um, Yeah, I, I think I understand where Eugene's coming from. I just feel Eugene probably sees just more weapons from Charles. I mean, it's true. Because Islam has, Islam's very good on the ground. His wrestling is incredible. He's, he has his thing that he does very, very well. While Oliveira has many things he does very, very well. So I think that's probably the way he's looking at it now in terms of what happens with this fight on July 2nd, this third fight. If Holloway wins, they're going to do another fight. They're going to do Volkanovski 4. I feel pretty confident about that. If Holloway loses, I could just see him going to 55 at this. I, I could see him going up 55. I think he'll just be in position to just take fun, tough fights, which is what he's wanted to begin with. Even heading into the Calvin Cater fight, or even a- after the Calvin Cater performance, which is one of the all-time great performances, he said, I just want tough fights. Like, I don't need belts. I don't need to fight for titles. Just give me fun, tough, exciting fights. That's why he kind of put himself in the the silly Habib hat when Habib was clearly retired, but Dana White was doing these, oh, here's a Habib update. Every frigging card that was going on and no one bought it. No one believed it. Because we were actually getting no updates. We were getting nothing. It was just, oh, I talked to Habib and we're going to have dinner next week. And people bought it. People were all in on this. But that was like the, it was like comparing, I, I compare that to like Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. There were actually people out there that thought Conor was going to win that fight. When in reality, there was no chance Connor was going to win that fight. There's just no chance. And Habib retiring, like most people knew, like he's not coming back. For, especially not that fast. He's not going to sit there in October and say, I'm done explaining the reasons why and then come back in January. Like there's no chance that was going to happen. But I understand where the UFC is coming from. They're trying to generate interest. Use, You know, put that name out there trying to get viewers, trying to get people in, in, involved and intrigued, and they did that successfully. But, yeah, th- we knew Habib wasn't coming back. But Holloway just will just be in fun fights. Like, he didn't have to fight Yair. That was just a fun, challenging fight for him. He could have just waited and fought for the title, and he said, no, I'm going to go fight Yair instead. And there you go. That's just the kind of guy Max is. He's going to be picky and choosy, and he's going to... Max is a huge star for the company. He's a huge star outside of the UFC. Max doesn't need to fight. So if he's going to fight, it's going to be something that challenges him and motivates him and gets him fired up and excited. Let's get Jay in here. Jay, what's up, buddy?
10: Hey, Mike, what's up? Can you hear me? I can't. So I had two things I wanted to get your opinion on. The first thing was uh, I was listening to the MMA Hour um, with Ariel and his interview with Jordan Levitt. And what I saw that was really confusing was how he said he got a lot of backlash from the UFC and from fans when he would do his dances on people after he would win. And I just found that pretty odd because it made me a fan. I thought it was hilarious and I want him to keep doing it. And especially if he beats Patty in London, I would love to see him do that. But I'm just confused for why the UFC would give him some backlash because there's always fighters who... Have their own stick and they want to act and do things to piss off the crowd and fans, but they don't mind that. But they want to give a warning to Jordan levitt which I'm confused on. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. And the next thing I wanted to ask was, uh, I believe someone else already asked the question, but it was with Jeltz and Almeida moving to heavyweight. And I actually think, even though he is rushing up faster with getting that match with Shamil. I do think it might be a little more challenging just because of the, the more prospects they have there, like Romanov, uh, Pavlovich, who else? Tuivasa and Aspinall. And we don't really see that in light heavyweight. We still just see like the old contenders still there. So I think light heavyweight staying there actually maybe would have been better for him like because there's not that many names up there. But he definitely probably will do good in heavyweight too, so I can't complain about that. And also just a little quick, Side note thing, uh, I actually think Miami got finessed in game seven by the refs, especially with the three from Max Strauss because he didn't step out of bounds. But I don't, I'm not saying Miami would be in the finals, but I just wanted to throw that in there and have, have, have a heck of a morning, Mike.
2: Thanks, Jay. By the way, if you want to talk about the refereeing in that game, go back and watch it start to finish because there were so many phantom calls against the Boston Celtics, it was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Game six was a travesty, a travesty in sports officiating. It was disgusting, horrendous, but that's neither here nor there. The Gilton Almeida thing, listen, here's another thing that I want to, that I didn't really address that I think makes sense. Gilton Almeida is not a small guy. He, when he weighed in for the Pacaporta fight, he was 225 and he didn't cut a pound. So when he cuts to 205, he's probably cutting like 30 pounds. That's a big weight cut for this guy. And now he can focus on putting on some size. He can lift a little more. He's just such a freak, man. He's going to do really well at heavyweight. And they're not going to match him up with Romanoff anytime soon. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they'll keep those guys away from each other. You just kind of give him the the Shamils of the world. Maybe he gets Chris with a win. Like He'll just move his way up. He'll move his way up, and I think he, I mean just his athleticism, what he brings to the table alone. This guy has, good lord, this guy has championship written all over him. I think he could. I, I feel con. I'm not going to say I'm supremely confident, but I will say I am confident that Chaelton Almeida will fight for the heavyweight title at some point if he decides this is my weight class. I'm gonna. I'm a heavyweight for the rest of my career. I think that guy is good enough to fight for a belt, and he's only getting better. The Jordan Levitt thing is so interesting because it was by the way seeing Jordan Levitt on the MMA hour just made me so happy. I've been I've been interviewing Jordan Levitt since he was like a 2 and 0 pro. And he has been the exact same guy then as he is now. Exactly the same. The books, the reading 100 books a year, all of these things, these things he does to challenge himself, the dancing, the celebrations, he's been doing this His whole career, like literally from fight one to now, he has done the exact same things. He's the same guy. He's the same guy. He's not going to change anything about himself for anybody, for the UFC, for fans, for anything. He's just going to be the unique individual he is. And he has always been like that. And to see him in the UFC and shining and getting these big opportunities, now he's on the freaking MMA hour, that is so cool. It's so cool seeing a guy. And this is what I tell like up in, this is what I tell young media members who reach out and say, What do I need to do? You need to interview everybody. You need to find these guys. And when promotions reach out to you and they say, I have this prospect, he's one and oh, I think he's gonna be really good. And they pitch you on him. You don't say, nah, he's not Connor. He's not a UFC fighter. I'm not going to interview him. You say, yes, I'll interview that guy. And I can't even begin to tell you how many early interviews I had in my career that are in the UFC right now. It's amazing. It's incredible to see. Like, go listen to my interview with Sean Brady. I've been interviewing Sean Brady since he was the CFFC champion, like way before the UFC, and he knows that. And these guys remember that. So it's just so cool to to see Levitt on the MAR. and. If he beats Patty Pimblett, oh my God, that is going to be insane. Freaking insane. And he can do it too. That's a very interesting fight. That's a very interesting fight. I I like them. The more I talk about it and I kind of, I was on the fence with the matchmaking at first. But now I dig it. The more I talk about it, the more I like it. Wow, it's nine o'clock already. Joe, final word, my man. What do you got?
11: Heck of a morning, Mike. Lo- always love the space.
2: Thank you, my man. Not too
11: you? bad. Hope you're having a great day. Um, So you said earlier that the UFC tries to run with people they think can be stars. I think I've said his name twice in the space already. I just want to be the guy remembered for saying Mazarov. i probably say his name wrong, but Askar, that's the guy they're looking at right now. But uh, what I wanted to ask you was, I'm not real hot on open scoring. And I'm not real hot on the topic of open scoring, but for me, I'm irritated by all the talk of open scoring because I feel like referees being more liberal about taking points should take priority over that. As like fans, we should be more worried about the referees being more liberal when they should take points and the scoring system allows for 10, 10s, 10, eights, and actually even 10 sevens to happen, which I doubt we'll ever see that day. Um, so, like, if you could pick one of the three to correct the referees taking points like they should, judges scoring like they should, or open scoring, which one would take the priority for you?
2: Thank you, Joe. Great last question. The first, I mean, open scoring is not going to be the first thing. It's going to be the last thing because I just don't think it's going to change anything. I just don't think it's going to change anything. It's just going to make us matter. The more we watch these fights and we see bad judging and we hear the scorecards, what's the first thing we do when we hear a questionable scorecard? We go on Twitter and we say 3027? Question mark, question mark. That's what we do. And now we're gonna now we're gonna have to do that after every round. It's gonna stress us the frig out. That's what it's gonna do. It's just gonna make us more stressed. Well, we're trying to find positivity in this space. So to me, I mean the scoring. The 10-point must is not going to change anytime soon, so I'm just going to leave that alone. I You make a tremendous point about the referees, however. I like the referee thing. The referees having the wherewithal and the, I guess, courage at times to take points when they're supposed to be taken. Nothing annoys me more than watching multiple warnings, especially like Mark Smith does it, Chris Tyone does it a lot, Sometimes Chris Dione shows up on a Saturday night and he's just ready to take points. And then oftentimes he'll give a warning, another warning, another warning. And then it's pulls him aside after the third time. And he says, okay, this is sh This is a stern warning. This is a hard warning. You do it again. I'm taking a point. Like you should have taken a point before the eye pokes are ridiculous. The low blows are ridiculous. If it happens once you want to give one warning, fine. But if we're seeing it two or three times, like if you kick a guy in the ding-ding and then you poke him in the eye 30 seconds later and you don't take a point, you're wrong. You should be taking points. Take points. We should be taking more points in these fights. Honestly, I, I think I I think that's a big problem. We haven't seen... We, then we're getting the no contest and the DQs and all this stuff. That's another conversation for another day. But we've got to take points. you got to take points more. Because then people won't do them. We, we've had conversations like the Tim Elliott thing. The Tim Elliott thing blew up. Remember that when he grabbed the glove and then he went in the back and said, yeah, I grabbed the guy's glove. And then I interviewed him like three days later and he was like, yeah, I'm in a fight and I get two paychecks. I'm going to try to win the fight so I can get my second paycheck. I haven't fought in a year. I'm trying to take care of my family. This is what we have to do. So and then we, we had a thing like, should you cheat? Should you cheat? And most of us say, yeah, because no one's going to stop you from cheating. If I can poke a fighter in the eye four times to get the second half of my paycheck and no one's going to take a point away from me, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you grab the fence? If no one's going to stop you from doing it and no one's going to penalize you for that, why not? If you're losing, you're in a bad exchange and you kick a guy in the balls, but the referee's not going to take any points. Why wouldn't you do that Would you have the second half of your paycheck on the line? I'm not advocating cheating. I'm just saying if it's there, no one's going to stop you from doing it. And half of your money is on the line. What's to stop you from cheating? You know, we'll stop you from cheating, taking points away. And the referees just don't do that enough. So that is a tremendous point, Joe. That's a tremendous point. You know what? I'm going to take one more from somebody else. Let's get Marcellus in here. This is the true final word because I got to get out of here and I don't want to get in trouble. Maybe, perhaps, the wheel is spitting. Still spitting. It's not going to happen. The good news, Marcellus, is that we're back. Oh, you know what? God, golly. Golly. Golly, special guest, Oscar Willis, soon to be MMA champion. How are you? I'm good, obviously,
13: fit as a fiddle, you know,
2: training, (laughs) 6 a.m.,
13: work never stops, even on the Queen's Jubilee Day, you know, putting in those miles, (laughs) putting in that time. My man. How are you? I'm great, man. Good to hear from you. Thank you. You too. I was just listening to your discussion on kicking people in the balls and how you encourage it to happen more often.
2: Well, I mean, if they're not going to stop us from doing it, if they're not going to take points away, then kick away. In certain parts of the world, you can pay extra to have that sort of
13: thing. So to get it done for free on (laughs) Saturday is a lot too bad. (laughs) Ah, How's the training going? It's all right. It's only week two on a Thursday. So what, like day four of week two? And It's all right. It's a little bit more taxing than i anticipated but i feel better than week one and you know it's all right it makes me feel very fit and disciplined i haven't had a drop of alcohol since it started which as you know is a
2: testament to my my dedication at this point absolutely so the big question is oscar will 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 we see oscar willis compete in a cage after this is all said and done after the 20 weeks are done are you going to take it yeah sure I'm already eyeing up the people in my
13: class being like, well, I can't beat him, so stay away from him. But I could probably beat that person, so I'll go and bully them. You know, I'm a a conniving person. I've already planned it out. It's going to be great.
2: I'm very excited for this. Oscar, you are the man. Uh, Best
13: of luck with the training, my friend. Thanks very much. I appreciate you even mentioning
2: it. I wasn't going to. I was going to talk about
13: judging. but Let's go. But I'm also overjudging, aren't you? I feel like everyone's been talking about it for two weeks now. It's okay. We can move on. There's a great heavyweight clash this Saturday to look forward to between two (laughs) high-paced athletes that are going to put on a show at the
2: Apex. That's right. What fight are you looking forward to the most? Uh, None of them. I'll be on a
13: plane to Singapore, which most people would say they don't want to be on an international flight. But I think when you look at this Saturday's card, I'm quite happy to be on a flight that I can't watch it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, man. Well, safe travels, my man. And I'm sure uh, you and Jose will will be linking up in Singapore. Oh, yes, indeed. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks, buddy. The great Oscar Willis. I got to spend uh, a little time with Oscar in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, if you're going to spend time with Oscar Willis, nothing like the mean streets of Jacksonville to do it in. It was, just, it was such a delight being around that guy. And uh, he's doing the Train Alta program, which Casey Lydon did and he had his fight and got a victory. So uh, we're seeing a lot more journalists get involved in that event. They're given, I, I believe they were giving away some scholarships and stuff for BD members to, to go through camps and go through the training. And you have the option to take a fight after and I'm not surprised that Oscar's going to get in there and take a fight. So very excited about that. Very intrigued by it all. And can't wait to see it happen. So we got to get out of here. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm supposed to be actually like doing actual work. And this doesn't feel like work to me. So, Appreciate it very much, but the good news is we're going to do this again tomorrow, same time, 8 a.m. Eastern. We're going to make this happen. Have another edition of Heck of a Morning right here, so you can have your voice heard here. You can have your voice heard on the MMA MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. BTL, back today, 3 p.m. Eastern, live on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. It will be a rematch. We're going to have a competition this time. Jed Bashu versus Drake Riggs, who is the actual champion, yet he hasn't we haven't had an actual like title match on BTL in several weeks, but we're going to have one this week. Jed versus Drake. I think this is like part five and I believe it's two, two. I believe it's two, two. So this will be uh, the fifth matchup between these two gentlemen. So 3 PM Eastern live on the MMA fighting YouTube channel. So we'll see you then until then, everybody have a great rest of the day. Enjoy your Thursday, get your coffee ready, your breakfast, your omelet, whatever, and have yourself a heck of a morning.
3: Podcast Network.